Welcome to the Energy Intelligence Podcast. My name is Ronan Kavanagh, Deputy Editor of EI New Energy. And I'm delighted to be joined today by our publications editor, Lauren Kraft, to talk about hydrogen, its role in the energy transition, and to help explain how it works. Thanks for having me here, Ronan. Always a real pleasure. Now, it's often said that hydrogen has a unique and potentially crucial role to play in the energy transition. Can, can you tell me, Lauren, what makes it different? Yeah, hydrogen really is unique. It's not a primary fuel like oil or natural gas, but rather it's an energy carrier. And it's more similar to electricity in that way, in that it needs to be produced from another energy source. But although electricity is difficult to store and transport across long distances, hydrogen's very fuel-like qualities mean it can be stored like gas and transported around the world, much like LNG. And as well as being used as a transport fuel, it could be added to gas grids, potentially helping decarbonize heating and industrial processes, which could be crucial to reaching a 100% or nearly 100% decarbonized energy system. So it's green fuel then? Well, that's where it can start to get complicated. When combusted, the only emission is water. So that's great for local air quality. But otherwise, it's what we might call climate agnostic. That means that it is green if produced from renewable power, but it's not green if it's made with fossil fuels like coal or natural gas, because this process today creates a lot of carbon dioxide. So how it's produced is the critical bit then in terms of its climate credentials. But with all these different kind of shades and terminologies, can you explain some of this to us, please? Yeah. Right now, nearly all the world's hydrogen is gray, gray hydrogen, produced using natural gas through a process known as steam methane reforming. And in that high pressure water or steam reacts through a catalyst with natural gas and produces hydrogen, carbon monoxide, and to a lesser degree, CO2. So gray hydrogen can also be produced using coal through gasification as well. So, I mean, great hydrogen creates a lot of CO2, which is going to rule it out from playing a meaningful role in the energy transition. But could that CO2 be removed rather than being released to the atmosphere? Yes, and that really brings us to blue hydrogen, which uses the same process, steam methane reforming, as grey hydrogen, with the addition of carbon capture and storage technology or carbon capture utilization and storage. And there, the CO2 would be used as an industrial feedstock or for enhanced oil recovery in the case of CCUS. So, yes, it can definitely be captured. But then, I mean, CCS is is very complicated. You know, there are lots of different parts from carbon capture, transport networks for the CO2 pipelines and ships and and the end point for the stored CO2. But not everyone's convinced it's a solution, are they? Those who are backers say blue hydrogen will develop a hydrogen economy a hydrogen economy and do it at scale, while opponents say it's unsustainable because CCS costs right now are so uneconomic. Also because methane leakage is a problem for gas infrastructure. And um, even with capture, about 10% of CO2 is not captured in that CCS process. And although gas prices are low now, those prices can fluctuate, which could drive up costs in the future. Indeed. And and that's not a problem for green hydrogen, which will talk about next. Now, this is the shade most people are referring to when they kind of talk about the climate benefits of a hydrogen economy. Can you explain what makes it so special? 
Yes, green hydrogen is the cleanest form of hydrogen, as the name implies. It is produced using renewable electricity, usually from wind turbines or solar photovoltaics. And then that renewable energy is put through an electrolyzer in a process that splits water into hydrogen and oxygen. And most electrolysis is done with alkaline electrolyzers. There are newer variants, such as proton exchange membrane electrolysis, which supporters of it say could be quicker and create greater efficiencies that produce very high purity oxygen, but they're relatively expensive. And are there any other colors of hydrogen while we're on the subject? Well, an interesting one is turquoise hydrogen, which is a mid-range hydrogen which can be low carbon but doesn't use renewables like green hydrogen does. Turquoise hydrogen uses natural gas and a molten metal pyrolysis technology that releases hydrogen and carbon in solid form. This can be used in various industrial processes, including car tires, but right now it's a research stage technology with more to prove. Now, hydrogen has potential too in some other kind of novel fuels like e-gas. Can you tell me about that and how it fits? Yes. You see, hydrogen's potential to decarbonize heating and industry is currently constrained by the fact that a maximum of only about 2% can be mixed into natural gas grids, although pilot projects are underway on raising that to possibly 20% without having to make big adjustments to equipment. But e-gas, or also known as synthetic natural gas, offers a way to overcome that barrier by converting hydrogen into methane. And I mean, how much of a game changer would hydrogen be for for, for natural gas or methane, as it's known? The European Union, for example, sees traditional natural gas having only a marginal role in the bloc's energy transition plans, which aim at carbon neutrality by mid-century. But the natural gas sector wants much more than a marginal part, and some think it has a winning hand to play in the energy transition, uh, perhaps as a source of cheap feedstock for blue hydrogen production. Uh, policymakers in Brussels are more enamored by the promise of green hydrogen, but not exclusively. The European Commission released a very anticipated hydrogen strategy just last week with a firm emphasis on pursuing green hydrogen using wind and solar photovoltaics, but it also threw a potential lifeline to supporters of blue hydrogen, uh, including European international oil companies. I mean, it's not surprising then that we see the the European companies looking increasingly to hydrogen, but but how are they actually approaching this? You take the example of Norway's Equinor. It has described hydrogen as one of its new value chains, especially blue hydrogen, which it says could be the key to keeping Norwegian gas valuable in a lower carbon future. And it has three big hydrogen projects in development. In the UK, the H21 project intends to turn thousands of businesses and millions of homes in Northern England into users of hydrogen derived from natural gas with CCS. And in the Netherlands, it plans to convert one unit of the Magnum gas-fired power station uh, to run on hydrogen by 2023. And then in Rotterdam, its H-Vision project looks to use gas with CCS to produce blue hydrogen for hard to electrify industrial processes. That's interesting, that Rotterdam project, because Rotterdam is a pro, is a focus for Royal Dutch Shell as well, isn't it? Yeah. Shell plans to create a green hydrogen hub in Rotterdam using offshore wind. Uh, 
Shell says the Netherlands makes an excellent hydrogen hub because it plans to build a lot more offshore wind capacity than it needs and has an extensive gas network that can easily be adapted to flow hydrogen. Uh, Shell and one of its partners, Eneco, plan a 200 megawatt electrolyzer by 2023 using green hydrogen at a nearby Shell-owned refinery. And can you tell me what, about the other big European majors? What are they doing in this space? Well, Total is an interesting one. Total is looking to use hydrogen at refineries, and it's developing a project in Germany around these lines. It's also working with industrial partners to build hydrogen refueling stations in Germany as well. And then over in Western Australia, BP recently announced a feasibility study for a huge export-driven green hydrogen and green ammonia production project that would require 1.5 gigawatts of solar and wind generation capacity. Now, looking beyond Europe again, can you tell me where there are some other notable developments to watch? Interestingly, last week, two Saudi players partnered up with a U.S. gas and chemicals company to make hydrogen using a pretty unique process. And there, the hydrogen would be used for transportation fuels. That was really telling because it shows that even oil-driven economies and very oil-driven players are starting to see how important hydrogen is becoming and how much commercial interest it's drawing. Then another example in the U.S., a company called SGH2 Energy Global is planning to build a renewable hydrogen plant in Southern California that would be one of the largest in the world if all goes as planned. It's right now past the planning stages and now in the money money raising stage with developers eyeing a model in which plastics and recycled paper would be used as feedstocks that would be gasified at high temperature before being transformed into hydrogen. So those are just a few. Now, can you tell me about China? I mean, hydrogen has been made in, making some very good progress there with, with very strong policy backing. Absolutely. There was a recent policy draft in China seeking feedback. And in that, China's finance ministry has suggested implementing a fuel cell vehicle or FCV, is the abbreviation FCV, a demonstration project or a few demonstration projects aimed at, as they said, building up a hydrogen and FCV production chain based on breakthroughs in core technology. And boosted by policy support, hydrogen and FCV players in China are really springing into action with just a flurry of activities in the last few weeks and the last few months. That's exactly the opposite of the general trend, which has been a slowdown in the aftermath of the COVID outbreak. And could you give me some examples of, of, of this recent progress and, and, and activity? Absolutely. In June, there were four leading state-owned automakers in China, and they joined hands with Toyota over in Japan to launch an R&D joint venture so that the lead time from development to commercialization could be substantially shortened. That's how they described it. The five automakers and then also a sixth partner, a technology provider, they're setting up a joint venture to formulate product plans and create a single streamlined structure on technologies to be used in FCV components through to the vehicle installation stage. Very interesting. I mean, there's certainly plenty to watch out for there on the hydrogen front, and it'll be taking some very critical steps forward in the next um, few months. Thank you, Lauren, for helping to shed some of the light on these intricacies. And, and thank you as well to everyone who listened to today's podcast. We hope you can join us again for more insights on the energy transition. Thanks for listening to the Energy Intelligence Podcast. Please check back with us soon for our latest content, which you can find at energyintel.com. Mm-hmm.